Um, so here's what we're going to do first. First, we're going to read Ephesians chapter 3 individually, then we'll read it collectively, um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump into it. Just remember, overall, we're talking about what it means to be in Christ. Ephesians 3 individually, then we'll read it collectively. Thirty more seconds. All right, Connor, take it away. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together of Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the, promised, in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me. 
to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So we went through a whirlwind of chapter 1 and chapter 2 last time we got together. And, you know, we covered a lot of components about how Paul started really big picture, like God is doing this reconciling work. And then he transitions in chapter 2 to talk about the the coming together of Gentile and um, Jew in one family. And so Paul transitions here in chapter 3. And so just keep verses 19 through 22 in mind that Paul is kind of summing up that thought. You know, sometimes the chapters break things up where they probably shouldn't be broken up. And so Paul is summing up that thought. And so as you guys read through Ephesians 3, what were some of the words or phrases that stood out to you? Um, immediately administration really stood out because I don't think, I've never studied this out, but I don't know where else the Bible uses administration. Mm. Um, and in particular stood out because I like happen to be studying uh, administrations right now in Come a on. hospital setting. <laughs> um, not because I'm a clinician, but I have to be for other things. And it's just so interesting, like, the, the physical act that an administration is. Like, it is not just presenting something saying, here, if you want this, go ahead and grab it. It's not a plate of cookies for anyone to have. And administration is a physical injection. Mm. You know, an administration is putting something within someone else for the benefit of whatever you're administering. And it's this incredibly deep and sometimes even invasive act. Nice. So it just kind of stood out. It's like, that's such a different word than you've been given the grace or mm-hmm. we pass on to you this glory. It's like, no, this is an administration. This is a lot deeper than, than a lot of the verbiage that I think is typically used by Paul. Amen. That's mm-hmm. a powerful insight. Appreciate that. Yeah. Anyone else? What's some phrase or words that stood out? I think something that caught me in kind of, I was like, I don't even quite know what I'm reading. In verse 10, where he's talking about the, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. I think at that point, that kind of knocked me off like, wait, what am I reading? I gotta Come go on. Back. The rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms? 
the wisdom needs to be made known to them through the church. So we're gonna circle back to that, but yeah, that's a that's a serious theme, Ken. Um, there's a verse, and this is gonna be like one of the top top five chapters. This is a great great uh, chapter, um, and he's so descriptive. But I guess the word riches comes is in there twice, mm-hmm. more than twice. It's, it's boundless, the, the boundless riches that we have, the riches, how rich we are in Christ. I think it's just says that's very descriptive, very. Uh, I don't know, it just says a lot about how much we have and how, or how much we can have and how, how great uh, being a part of Christ is. So. Amen. Jesse, Danny, Ira. Yeah, I thought what stood out to me was how he's talking about this secret and how it's like being revealed. Like there's this secret plan that God has and it's been revealed to Paul and now he's like, boy, you, you heard about the plan that God, I need to tell you all about this plan that, that God revealed to me and now is being re- being revealed or being unveiled to mm-hmm. to the people or to the world or whoever. So like, yeah, it's kind of cool. It's okay. yeah, um, something that stood out to me reading it today um, than, you know, other times, I'm a big fan of Ephesians too, but is um, 13 where it says, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my your glory, how like, you know, what the the bad he's going through or the suffering he's going through, like telling them like, no, it's not a bad thing necessarily, like be encouraged, you know, this is happening um, for your glory in such like a positive light, like that really stood out. Yeah, you know, think about why he even begins this portion of his letter this way. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ for the sake of you Gentiles. Paul right now is also a prisoner, period. Yeah. Like he's currently in jail um, from um, what most people would say. But he, he, he regards himself not as a prisoner of Rome, but a prisoner of Christ. Why do you think he doesn't view himself as being enchained in, in Rome as opposed to being enchained, in, enchained to Christ? Like why not to say if, like, if any of us were here arrested in Maine, you'd be like, hey, this is Steve in Portland Correctional Facility. <laughs> Hope you guys still love the church. <laughs> I would, I, I, right now, my natural inclination wouldn't be unless I really was arrested for Christ to say, hey, Steve, a prisoner of the Lord in Portland Correctional Facility. Yeah. I feel like being, like, because I think part of it was what he was arrested for and arrested for trying to sh- spread this message, but I think also, like, okay, if I'm a prisoner at Rome, I'm at Rome's mercy. Rome's got control and the final say of what happens to me, where I think Paul was totally convinced that what he was doing was this mystery, this task from God directed by the Holy Spirit himself. So he's like, well, if I'm in jail, it's under the Holy Spirit's direction. I'm in the Holy Spirit's control, not under Rome's control. Amen. <clears throat> the confession of the disciples and us too is that Jesus is Lord. And so if Jesus is really Lord, then he's the ultimate authority governing everything. You know, well, it may seem that U.S. is the current administration or at this time that Rome was current administration produced to be Lord that means that Jesus is in charge of allowing this to happen. And that's really important that Paul to use the word that Mark used for him he's seeing what may seem to us like no you're a prisoner of Rome he's like no Jesus is Lord over all of this situation 
and I'm seeing the fruit of what the gospel is doing in the lives of the community of the people in Ephesus. And so he said something that um, Trevor was alluding to where he's like, you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me, that this mystery made known to me by revelation. How many of you have read a good portion of the Old Testament? Is Gentile inclusion very clear to you as it stands today in 2022? Is Gentile inclusion that the plan was always to include the Gentiles into the story of God's story from page one of the Bible. Is it clear to you in 2022 that that seems like, yeah, that's right there in front of you or, um, or not? Yeah, I think it was, a, it was something that was a thing. Like, like I think about Rahab and other individuals that were Gentiles that were accepted by the Jews, but I don't know if it was like the main goal of God's plan, but I know it was a part of it. Okay, okay. Anyone else? Well, throughout the uh, giving of the law, there's always a talk about the foreigner among you, the alien among you. The, so there, there was a whole bunch of laws specifically of how to treat other nations. The promise to Abraham originally was to bless all nations through your seed. Uh, and then getting back to Adam and Eve, the uh, uh, prophecy gives there about the seed of the woman is, you know, yeah. all humans. Well, let's go back to Adam and Eve. Are Adam and Eve Jewish? No. No. You sure? Yes. <laughs> they're not. They're not sure. <laughs> you know, something you got to throw your sharing in and they throw their one off. They're like, no, I'm not sure. Nobody was Jewish until Jacob. You said nobody was Jewish until Jacob with the circumcision. Yeah. And, and, and everything else, right? Yeah. Israelites. None of them were really Israelites until Jacob when he wrestled with God. But it's really important that we understand for us on this side of the new covenant, prayerfully, it does seem fairly obvious as you go through like um, someone was mentioned. Noah's covenant was to not flood the entire world to make sure that the world was good. It wasn't just to make sure Israel was good. God chose Abraham out of the people to be a blessing to the nations. In Exodus 19, when God says he's choosing Israel, it's so that he can show the nations who his people is. And in hopes of, we didn't know it then, but like uh, Mark alluded to in Genesis 3, to bring them back to covenant community. But for Paul and for everyone else, it just wasn't clear until it became clear. How many of you remember the story in the road to Emmaus? That's Luke chapter um, 24. Just for the sake of time, we're not going to read it. But if you want to look at it while we're talking, so to um, check my facts. But Jesus sits down with these two on the road. And they're like, have you heard what happened? And Jesus is like, I haven't heard what happened. He's like, are you the only person who has not heard what happened? There was a prophet mighty indeed. And this guy just died. And then Jesus is like, wow, how slow are you guys not to believe the scriptures? And so beginning from, I guess, Genesis to Chronicles, Second Chronicles, he explains all of the scriptures to them. Did that help them understand who Jesus was? Yeah. Yeah. Let's read it. Let's look at it. <laughs> Did that help the guys on the road to Emmaus understand who Jesus was? Was Luke chapter 24. 
My Bible's new, so it's like all the pages are stuck together. Verse 27 is what I was referring to. Or well, you could go from 25 to 27. And he says, he said to them, how foolish are you and how slow to believe all that the prophet has spoken? Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were, um, were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he broke bread, gave things, and, I mean, yeah, he took bread, gave things, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. So was it simply the reading of the scriptures that made them recognize who he was? Yeah. It was also fellowship, right? <laughs> There needed to be an experience matched with good Bible study. I think most of us in here, if we think about our journey in following Jesus, we would say there was an experience. You may not be able to remember it well enough, but there probably was an experience that the scriptures just illuminated and it became more clear in light of that experience. And so what Paul is saying here, he persecuted the church because he didn't understand the mystery that God was working. He couldn't you clearly see now when Paul writes Romans and he writes Ephesians and he writes Galatians, he understands what we would call the meta narrative very clearly, but he couldn't understand it as a Pharisee before he was blinded by the Lord and him being blind by the Lord. It became very clear to him that he couldn't see who God was and what God was doing. And so he said that this mystery was revealed. And so what was the mystery? that the Gentiles would have inclusion into God's promises without having to become Jews themselves. And I know for us in 2022, that is not controversial. That is very normal. But for, for anyone living in that era, this was like Paul was playing with fire here. It was very uncomfortable what he was doing. Later, by the time of 70 AD, there'll be such a schism that... Eventually, the Jews will say, you guys are not Jewish. Whatever you guys are, you're not Jewish because of the Gentile inclusion and the worship of Jesus. Those two things were the two primary pressure points. And so Paul says here, um, this mystery was given how? How did Paul receive this mystery? Does that word make any of us feel uncomfortable? You said uncomfortable? No, not for Paul. Not for Paul. It didn't make Paul feel uncomfortable. But does that mean, like, God gave him this. You would think, how many of us would think Paul actually would have said, oh, I got this revelation from being blind and then doing a Bible study? That's what we would have thought, right? Like, oh, but he's saying God gave him something. Like, God gave me, he unveiled this for me. The unveiling took place because of what God did. And we read it all through the book of Acts. They open up their eyes to understand the scriptures. And in the Luke, God opened up their eyes. He did different things. Yeah. They were able to receive the scriptures. You see, it's really important when we're talking about what we're doing for God and God's glory. God is still actively giving people revelations, if you will. Not in the sense of writing new doctrine and new dogma and, and, and that sort of stuff. But people being able to really see who Jesus is through different deeds. Yeah. And I've shared this in the past before. 
me going to our fellowship of churches and seeing married people holding hands was a revelation. In the community I grew up, even if you were married for a long time, you didn't hold your spouse's hands. And so when I came into the church, I was like, this is insane. They actually seem like they like each other. And I went back and told everyone that there's a place over there where people are married and they seem like they like each other. It was like crazy for me. And for the next two months, anytime someone asked me about my experience in church, that was the first thing I brought up. I'm like, whatever they believe is actually working. And, it was, and then my, in my campus ministry at the time got into a fight with his wife, and it was the most tame fight I ever saw in my entire life. And he apologized for me witnessing God's grace. Like, they, they, they were arguing in the most gentle way. Like, baby, say you're going to throw out the trash. Well, you know, different things happen. Babe, I, I, I really want your yes to be yes. Yes, I get that, but there's different things. Can you please be a little bit gracious in this situation? And then she walked off and said, I'm going to go for a prayer walk. And he's like, I'm sorry you saw that. <laughs> I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, that's all what? He's like, yeah, we've just been bumping a lot lately. I'm like, this is a fight? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> and it was, it was, it blew me away. Those little things, as I look, went back and looked at the scriptures, it's like I saw Jesus more clearly through his faithful people administering his grace. And so Paul, when he says here that he was given this revelation, it's really important that part of our journey in Christ is being able to consistently receive this revelation to understand God more fully, which Paul elaborates more at the end of this chapter with the prayer, that we need to be able to see God more fully, which is an ever-growing endeavor as followers of Jesus. And so he says um, in verse 5, which was, made, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has been revealed now by the Spirit to God's holy um, apostles and prophets. Think about what he just said. How many prophets came before the apostles and the New Testament prophets who are largely nameless? Agabus is one of those guys that we know, but we don't know anyone else, I think. How many mm-hmm. prophets? Agabus. Agabus? Agabus. Oh, Agabus. Okay. Yeah, he's in uh, Acts... 21, I think, 22, one of those two chapters. Is he talking about the Old Testament prophets? I think he's talking about the New Testament prophets. I think he is. Yeah, and Agabus would be the only New Testament prophet I'm aware of by name. Um, but think about all the other guys, the Old Testament prophets. They did not get this mystery. Jeremiah, I mean, Isaiah says, man, this one is going to be a light to the nation. Isaiah probably didn't think. Light to the nations means inclusions of the nations. You know, you have um, Psalm 22, which is like David's psalm talking about whatever he's talking about. It becomes a mirror of what Christ goes through. And it talks about, again, the inclusion of people being forgiven. A lot of these guys did not see what Paul clearly sees now, even though they were writing and being inspired by the Holy Spirit. You see, God's spirit is always working with his people to administer his grace to inject it into something. And this is what Paul is saying for himself. He's like, as a prisoner, I am seeing now more clearly that I'm not in chains because the gospel's not in chains. The work that's being done here is spreading all through the world. And so he says, the Gentiles are now heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. 
you know, one of the more challenging things, and I want you guys to think about this for a minute. We'll, we'll, we'll get a little bit more personal. Most of you in here, who's expecting an inheritance when, when <laughs> it's a little dark, but that's okay. Who's expecting an inheritance when a parent dies? <laughs> Anthony is like, I'm definitely, <laughs> he's like, I'm expecting some money, right? I mean, I read, my mom said, we're going to read my will together. She just laid it out there on the table. And Come on. Yeah. Were you encouraged or discouraged? I mean, <laughs> I don't even know the answer. <laughs> 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 it's a valid question. I keep forgetting that. Yeah, it's recorded. <laughs> you don't need to act it back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, most of you would think, especially if you have siblings, you're like, oh, I know how this inheritance is going to be divided. If you have kids, I know how it's going to be divided. This person is going to get this, this person is going to get that, this person, whatever. How alarming it would be if you saw the inheritance and you're like, oh, a whole bunch of people that you're not even aware of is now gaining access to this promise. You're like, that's for me. That's not for everyone else. Like, I became, think, think on Luke 15, the, the, the story of the older brother. Like, I slaved for this. I've been faithful for, to this. And now everyone else is getting access to something that was promised to me without having to do it the way I did it. Because one person did it this way, you're like, that is crookery, and it's not good. Especially because a lot of the story of the Hebrew Bible is that the Gentiles were the enemies of the Jews and persecuted them and harmed them. If you read um, the Apocrypha, so much, just the Jews went through so much leading up into the time of Jesus. And Paul is saying they're heirs now of the promise God made to Abraham and his family. Think about the scandal that you would feel on a personal level. Now, if you're like a really good-hearted person, you wouldn't care. <laughs> I don't care about money. My dad could split his thousand dollars to a thousand people, and we'll all be happy, man. One dollar each, we'll get a McFlurry and, and do it to the glory of God. Doesn't McFlurry even cost a dollar? Not just a coupon. McFlurry and a coupon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but. The, 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 the point I'm trying to make here is if you're a Gentile and if, or using the same analogy before, if you weren't one of the children and someone said, hey, um, Sebastian is leaving you 30K, how fired up are you? You're like, wow, thanks, bro. You're like, this is amazing. Where Anthony is like, that could have been my 30K. That could have added to what I had going on. But you're splitting up my pot. You're splitting up what belongs to me, my inheritance. I like, I, it, it's something that's supposed to be passed down, and I've been faithful. And Paul is trying to help them understand here that this was always God's plan, that he was going to use Israel to be the blessing to all the nations, and Israel representative in Jesus became that blessing. Does that make sense, guys, what, mm -hmm. Paul, what, what Paul is trying to communicate here? Yeah. yeah. That we'll be sharers of the prophet, promise. And so for Paul, we'll skip down to verse 10. And what do you guys think, um, Connor mentioned it earlier. What do you guys think he's trying to communicate here in verse 10? His intent was now through the church that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Maybe the angels. Okay. I mean, the only people I can think of in the heavenly realms are angels. 
Yeah. You know, I don't know if they were in on this Gentile plan or not. <laughs> <laughs> Second <laughs> Peter says no. Yeah, they well, it makes me think about um, Ephesians 6, mm-hmm. you know, when he talks about putting the armor of God, and he also mentions again the heavenly realms. Um, mm. Of all the things that are most impressive to you in Christianity, if you were going to prove to the entire heavenly realm that God is who he says he is and that his plans work, would Gentile inclusions in the church be that, what you point to? You got Jesus' resurrection. You got the ancient wisdom of all the scriptures. You got the forgiveness of sins. You got a lot of things. Why is the church the thing that shows the spiritual realm that God is who he says he is and God is doing what he says he does. Is it because it's it separates God from any like physical kingdom in the sense that like identity isn't tied to a specific like set of rules it's I don't know like it's it's more like I feel like with a physical kingdom it's tied to something very very specific whether it's a particular ruler or a particular set of laws and like United States it's you know the US Constitution but it's like tied to something very physical and very Mm -hmm. finite and God is like no my love is infinite you know and that's completely different from any ruler ever Okay. Like, I'm taking everybody. Okay, okay, good that. Shred? So, uh, um, you know, when the men all got together and said, let's build this tower, right? And God says, no, this isn't looking good. And he scattered the nations. And from that point on, there was wars and bitterness and anger and division, everything. And it was all over the world like that. I mean, from what we yeah. can tell, if you look at history, all Absolutely. over the world, people were just fighting with each other over land and resources and their language and their religion. And at Pentecost, um, he took all the languages and put them back together again and said, we're, we're going to do something here that's, that we're, we're joining, we're, we're going to make something here which is unifying. Mm. Finally, something that everybody can be unified with. And of course, in the Jewish community, the biggest challenge of all—I mean, I don't know what the Jews thought about the Chinese and the, and the people in South Africa mm-hmm. and the Scandinavians—but we know that they hated the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. And God was going to take the Gentiles and the Jews and make it a paradigm for the unity of the world through Christ. That's the way. I mean, I think that's what he's. Doing. Yes. Yes. Yeah, Harry, you were going to share? Yeah, no, it just made me think about um, the comment you made earlier about experience. Um, the comment you made earlier about experience um, and about how, you know, through the church is where we can experience, you know, God's gifts and just, you know, what he's, you know, called us, that, kind of the same, you know, with that inclusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, what, what you guys shared is so powerful that, you know, think, think about 
even now, presently, the world will be blown away if we could get Ukrainian soldiers and Russian soldiers together in worship, break bread together, and put their guns down. Everyone would be scandalized by that. They'd be like, in fact, I'm almost willing to wager all parties in something like that, unless the entire army does it, will go to jail. So let's just say we only took 10% of each army and they did that. The 10% will go to jail. And they would probably try to kill someone and be like, this is not how we're going to solve this conflict. This conflict needs to end with blood. It cannot be ended with Jesus' blood. It needs to be ended with someone from the other side's blood. And when the church comes together, Paul is like, look, this is what the spiritual realm couldn't comprehend, that God can fix what he started. What we broke, I could fix. I could bring this world into complete unity, like Fred um, mentioned. What was the challenge with Babel? They tried to build something without God, and that becomes a type for the legitimate Babel that sends Judah into exile. Like, Babylon and Babel becomes like, this cruel nation that treated Israel harshly. You're like, that's what happens when you build something apart from me. And so they become a type for that. And so here, the church is becoming a type of Eden. Like, what does it mean for people to be in unity with God and with one another? That becomes a church. And, and the spiritual realms are looking like, wow. They really got it figured out. And so Satan's job is to divide us to accuse us, to separate us. And Paul is saying that, that that is the opposite of what God is doing. He's bringing us together and uniting us. And so, in verse 14, why do you guys think Paul kneels here? There's nowhere else Paul ever mentions kneeling about prayer. And in, in fact, I checked. All of the New Testament doesn't mention any posture of kneeling. Really, the entire Bible is filled with lifting hands up. In prayer and people lifting, you know, you got Elijah who kind of put his head in between his thighs for prayer. But then after that, you don't really got any more examples of people on their knees praying. Unless someone could think of one. I, I, I did a quick 10 minute search. The word to worship is literally to bend the knee. To bend the knee, absolutely. So where we see the word, word, word. See, Fred be still in the thunder, guys. <laughs> I'm going to tell us that Paul was worshiping what God was doing. I, <laughs> I was going to make the bridge with worship, but he stole it. That's okay. But yes, Paul is moving toward worship right now for God's plan. Think about Paul sitting in prison right now with a guard to his left, a guard to his right. Probably doesn't have that much money waiting on people to help him. And he's thinking about what he's writing. He wrote, he wrote chapter one or maybe someone's dictating it for him and he's writing chapter two. And then he's finishing this part of chapter three and he's like, hold up, write down what I'm about to pray. But I'm gonna start praying because this is so amazing what God is doing right now. Like it just, that's how blown away by he, he is by what God is doing. You know, sometimes when we are gathered together as the people of God, as the church, we sometimes it feels like this week's episode of church, right? You're like, oh, here we go again. This week's episode of church. Oh, we're mean again. Oh, gosh. Okay, what's going to be the vision theme or whatever this week? You know, the cynicism creeps in and we just start to miss what Paul is just so fired up about. In the midst of writing a letter, he's like, I got to pray, guys. Like, whoever's writing the thing is like, you write what I'm praying, but I'm going to pray. Like, I'm going to kneel before the Father. And he's like, do you want me to write the kneel part? He's like, absolutely, because I'm going to worship right now. As I sit in prison and realize what God is doing in this world around us. 
it, it, it's really important that we understand that from chapter one, Paul began in prayer. And what was Paul praying? You guys remember? He was praying the promises of God. The redemption, the forgiveness, the this, the that. Paul's prayer should be a paradigm for us. I know a lot of times we generally pray our problems, which again, God wants to hear the problems. But how many of us pray the promises of God like, God, I just want to thank you that I'm forgiven today. I want to thank you that I've been redeemed. I want to thank you that you chose Christ before you chose anything else in the beginning of the world. And I put my faith in Christ and now I'm found in Christ. Like Paul just prayed these incredible promises before the um, before these guards, which have probably been pretty weird. How many of you ever prayed, the, prayed in front of someone who wasn't a Christian? I just randomly broke out in prayer. Yeah. How was it received? I can imagine they're like, you know, they probably don't close their eyes. They're just like looking like, You said you've done it before, Jesse? Yeah, like for meals. (laughs) (laughs) They probably have their eyes open the whole time looking at you. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine praying an Ephesians 3 prayer. You're just hanging out and you're just like, man, I want to kneel before the Father (laughs) who every family in heaven and earth has derived this name. They're like, okay, where are we going with this? And they're just strapped in and they're looking and they're like, well, how's this going to end that they would know the love of Christ? It, it, I want you to get the sense that Paul's writing here about the complete joy he's experiencing right now, even as a prisoner, about what God is doing with the church. Mm-hmm. And I want you guys to be inspired by, even a church as small as 60, 1,000, a million, you should be inspired that we're part of the larger body of Christ. Mm-hmm the historical body of Christ, that this thing spans back 2,000 plus years and it's so long as it's called tomorrow it'll expand however many years in the future. Even if our particular expression of our fellowship disappears, the ICOC could disappear today and Christ's body would never disappear. Yeah. Like, Christ will remain undefeated. Yeah. It kind of, you know, to quote Jesus, it's been written, man. Like, he will remain undefeated. And so... He kneels to start worship. He kneels in a posture of great humility to understand. Why do you guys, says, why do you guys think he says um, from every family in heaven and earth derives its names? Like he kneels before the Father who every family in heaven and earth derives its name. What do you guys think he means by that phrase? Every family in heaven and earth derives the name. I think he's just talked about the church being an example to the, all of the powers in the heavenly realm who are suddenly brought into knowledge of what this is about. And Paul says, so, and for this reason, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. And, uh, and so it's, she's talking about the family in heaven and the family on earth, everything being brought together. And I don't know exactly what it means derives its name, but. This is a picture of new creation he's given, where heaven and earth will come together and become one. He's like, the one who names them is the one who has authority over them. Yeah. And God is the one who names them. He names people, people, Adams. And he names the angelic beings. And he's like, we're coming together. And he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, you may be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. When you guys think of the power of the spirit strengthening you, what comes to mind? 
Samson. <laughs> That's legit power. Samson was strong, and the Holy Spirit gave him that strong power. Anyone else? What comes to mind? Peace, no matter what. Peace, no matter what. I think, like, transformation, like, how Peter was, um, kind of, like, questioning Jesus at different points. Like, one particular example was, like, he, along with the other apostles, were admiring the temple. And Jesus was saying, like, you know, that that isn't an expression of my plan. My plan is much bigger than this temple. And they were shocked. And then in Acts, Peter goes before the Pharisees, and he's, he's not intimidated by them at all, mm-hmm. even though they represent this kind of, like the status and this opulence. He's not intimidated. He's like, no, I'm going to keep preaching. I'm not going to listen to you or be intimidated by you. But in the Gospels, he was like, whoa, this, the temple the Pharisees are in is like magnificent. He's just like, no, it's not. So it's like he transformed. Yeah. Yeah, and I think part of the challenge is, you know, and, and I don't say this as a criticism. It's just, it's just a reality, right? And you've, you've probably heard Fred say this. You've heard me say this. You probably thought it yourself. For a long time, because of the... And, and since we're being recorded, I got no beef with the Pentecostal movement. For a long time, because of the Pentecostal movement and their expressions of the Holy Spirit, a lot of churches reacted to that. You know, you walk in and someone got slain in the Spirit. And for, for people who just don't come from that background, it is just bizarre. And it's like, this seems kind of insane a little bit. You know, the this breaking out in tongues, speaking in utterance, the, the prophetic word being spread, at least from their vantage point, the prophetic word. And all these things, like, were happening. So a lot of churches, not only exclusively restoration churches, but especially restoration churches, became fully persuaded of one reality. God's spirit does speak primarily and probably almost only through the word of God. And so when we talk about strengthening through the spirit, a lot of times for most people with restoration background, it's like deeper quiet times. Like that's the strengthening you're expecting. Like where if I were trying to move a car and and um, Rinaldi and Connor came, I would feel their strength because the car would now be moving. You know what I mean? It wouldn't be like now I'm reading a little bit better so I can move this car. But like I would feel their support. And so what Paul is saying here is... I'm praying you guys can be strengthened through the power of the Spirit. You know, a lot of times we don't pray to even be strengthened by the Spirit because part of the challenge is what would that even mean on a day-to-day basis to be strengthened by the Spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith? Like, what does that even mean? Most of us in here would not believe that to be salvation in terms of accepting Jesus into your heart. And if you do, we can talk offline and, and we can have a good conversation about that. Yeah, I think that certainly having been around a long time, you know, I've always heard this thought to pray that people would be strengthened with power in the inner man. It's just almost subconsciously they, they, they'll read the word spirit, but they'll just leave it completely out of the equation. Mm-hmm. It's really so strange, but you think, I mean, he is saying that, you know, that we need to pray that the spirit that dwells in us empowers us. Yeah. Comes alive, right? Yeah. I just it's very convicting. Yeah.
Oh, no, no, no sorry. <laughs> Talk to the All right. Um, yeah, you know, just think about that. Like, again, it puts us in uncomfortable territory because, you know, most of us in here, who doesn't drink caffeine? Who, who has not ever had caffeine? Ever. Okay, Connor has never had caffeine. Lies. Lies. Yeah. Like I'm taking a sip of coffee. I, I, I don't know. Okay, but let's just say hypothetically for this example, every does anyone remember the first time they had like a cup of coffee and what it did to them? Surge. <laughs> we all instantly felt something. It wasn't like we could run faster, do anything, but we all instantly felt something. It just you were sitting there and you're just like, whoa, what is going on? And you you it's a stimulant. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit is a stimulant. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit is a drug. I'm not saying any of that. But what I am saying is, I believe the strengthening that Paul was praying for, he wouldn't not use these words if it wasn't something tangible the other believers would have felt. He wouldn't not use these words if it wasn't something you feel like, man, I felt strengthened. I felt stronger. And so what he says here is that. With the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And Christ, king, is another way Messiah and um, um, Messiah were anointed figures, whether the high priest or the king, anointed high priest. King may dwell in your heart through faith. What, what is Paul talking about here in terms of dwelling in our hearts through faith? He's talking about let Jesus sit there as Lord in your decision making. Honestly, that's. That's it. I need you to be strengthened in your lordship to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is going to provide that strength. And again, this is something for Restoration Churches in particular. It feels like, but what is he saying? How do we do that? You should pray it. Maybe tomorrow you will all text each other and be like, yo, I felt the abnormal strengthening of my lordship of Jesus. And I felt more faithful to what Jesus is calling me to. And we'll all be blown away like, wow, that's so cool. But then he says... From that, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power. Why does he want us to have power? We need power to understand the love of Christ for us. Have you ever tried, everyone in here, I, I wager to say, have tried to convince people of Jesus. And sometimes it just feels like, why is this incredible news not sinking in? There's been times people in here have tried to convince other followers of Jesus to be to remain in and be rooted in this love. You're like, why is it not sinking in? It's because to remind people of God's love requires a great deal of power that the Holy Spirit provides. Mm-hmm. Intercession is so important. Paul is interceding for this group right now. He's like, I want you guys to be strengthened. I want you guys to have power. I want Christ to dwell in your hearts through faith so that you can know the limitless love of God. How many of you think there's a cap to or a limit to the degree that you can love God? Like on your day-to-day traverse through this world as you're doing your thing, how many of you are constantly thinking, I want to love God 10 times more today than I wanted uh, yesterday? I think for me, I think sometimes I think there's a limit on the possibility of more people loving God, like sometimes I feel like, man, I think that this is it. Like this is the number that's gonna 
love God and I forget how the Holy Spirit constantly moves in people's hearts mm-hmm. because our society to me feels like it's in, in a more cynical place and maybe that's just you know something I gotta pray through but sometimes I'm like man people seem so cynical the Holy Spirit's not gonna reach you work at Whole Foods right yeah that's the capital of census I'm yeah sure. so it's like it's like people it's like there's a there's a cap there but I <laughs> I don't know about myself. I don't know about myself, but I, when I look at other people, I'm like, oh, that person's capped. They're not going <laughs> to. There's no cap. <laughs> but I'm thinking on a personal level. Like, how many of us really think to themselves, I want to love, learn to love God more consistently? I want that to be an ever-increasing deposit of my deep love for God. And, like, you know, that's really important. Some believers right. just really don't think that. They're like, I got baptized. All the love I need is already there, man. Oh, I'm just hanging on until the Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, what does love of Christ look like? It's wide, long, high, and deep. Long, wide, high, and deep. And what does he say in John? Jesus says, this is how I know if you love me. You will keep my commands. So the people who are praying, man, I want to grow in my love for God. Are you growing in your obedience to God? Yeah. You know, it, it's easy to get to, to just turn this completely sentimental. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I listen to, instead of listening to folk music or bluegrass, I listen to worship music or worship music style bluegrass. <laughs> Is there worship music bluegrass? Bluegrass worship music, there is fired up. Worship <laughs> everything. Again, worship, worship music is not bad. I'm not hating on worship music. It's Christian metal. Christian metal. There is Christian metal. There's even Christian trap music, which is like crazy. Christian drill. Yeah, like how how you get Christian trap and drill? You like I don't know, but it's a lot of it's more like I used to trap, but now I worship. <laughs> <laughs> trap is selling drugs. Yeah, um, I used to, yeah. I'm a different person now. That's praise God, man. That's a transform, transformative work. But I digress to say, guys. As followers of Jesus, Paul was praying that they could understand the love of God so they could grow in the love of God. But the fruit of the growth of the love of God is obedience. Yeah. Now that gets a bad rep in 2022. Facts. Obedience feels oppressive. It feels old school. And I'm not even talking about just our fellowship of churches. Just in general. Like tell a, let a boss tell you you need to show up at 9 a.m. 80% of the people he tells, hey, be here at 9 a.m. are thinking about quitting the next week. They're like, I'm done. Like, this guy actually expects me to show up at 9 a.m. Like, what's wrong with him? He thinks he's my boss. And everyone else outside is like, absolutely, he's your boss, but okay. <laughs> like, we, you know, we're, 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 we're the pushback generation. Tell someone what they need to do. That's, again, I'm not making any political statement, but that's just the heart of what happened with the mask and with the vaccine. Someone said, hey, you should, no. Like, you're not going to tell me what to do. <laughs> Or whatever. It just, it just is just where we are as a culture and where we are as a people. So when I say growing in love with God is obedience, some of us instantly just, why does he want me to obey? Why can't he just trust I would obey? Like, who is God to expect me to do what he says and me not pursue my dreams? And then you have to be reminded of the entire gospel story, how he died for you, how he rose from the dead, how you were lost in your sin that you being in control of your life led you so far away from God and so far away from love. Paul is praying, praying that they can understand the love of God. And it's a love that surpasses knowledge. It's deeper than knowing. 
I think probably the most comparable thing most of us have is the parental love that we experience with one of our parents or both of our parents, where we, we feel the love more than we even know the love. Like, you think through, especially as you get older, I think I've appreciated my parents 10 times more as I've gotten older. Like, man, they did so much for me. Were they perfect people? I'm being recorded. <laughs> but I've grown so much to appreciate what they've done. And it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a love that they have for me that knowledge can't even put words to. And Paul is saying, I want you guys to understand that sort of love that Christ has for you. That God's people would understand that sort of love. And you're like, how if it's not knowable? It's experiential. You got to experience it. You know, part of that is opening yourself up to experience the revelation that Paul talks about. Like, God's going to show himself to you more fully. Part of that is opening yourself up to the experience of the Spirit strengthening you. And then once you start to experience the sort of love, then it becomes, this is so wide, so high, so long, so deep. And you break out in worship and start praying too. Where you just like, I, I get it. I get it, I get it. And you just break out in worship and you are just honoring God. What do you guys think about the last verse? That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What do you think Paul was talking about here? I think that God is love. That's the way he's described. Mm -hmm. and that, you know, Paul is talking here about, well, the fruit of the Spirit. The first thing Paul says in the fruit of the Spirit is love, right? So mm -hmm. Paul's praying that they would have this Spirit in them, strengthening them, revealing and bearing its fruit in their lives so that they would understand that love. And then in the end, the result of that would be that they eventually would be filled to, they would completely understand God. Doesn't that sound encouraging? I think about that. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, self-control. I think I'm missing kindness. Did I say kindness? Okay, patience. But think about being filled to the filled to the fullness of God that you legitimately walk as Jesus did. Now, some of us, we're not there yet spiritually. We probably still want to hold on to certain sins, you know, like resentment, bitterness, impurity. Some of us want to hold on to certain sins and we're not yet mature enough to realize if we let that go, man, running free and being able to be free in Christ is the way to be. But this is what Paul is praying, that this church could be fully filled with who God is. Like, oh, I long for that. I want to wake up one morning and just be like, yo, I'm the epitome of patience by the grace and mercy of God. I walk in great humility, you know, like just humble, humble, humble and joyful. I want to be the most joyful person you guys have ever seen in your entire life. And this is what Paul is praying. You know, a lot of times we pray, God, give me a good day. God, help me not get in an argument. God, I know it's not payday, but I hope some money shows up in my account. You know, sometimes that miracle happens and you better praise God. You, yeah. Joe Biden put some money in your bank. Anyway. <laughs> He's not giving $300 out anymore for those of you with kids. But that was encouraging for a season, man. He was like, give me the money, Joe. He was in my budget and then he took his money away and ruined my budget. <laughs> Stinking Joe. Um, really, you guys are paying for your taxpayers. So I appreciate you guys, too. Making sure my kids eat. <laughs> Um, I digress. But that's what Paul is painting. Like, how many of us really want to be like Jesus? 
like really like my heart's desire is to be like Jesus. Not my heart's desire is to go to heaven one day. Not my heart's desire is to be a better version of myself. But I really want to be like Jesus. Paul is praying that they really would be like Jesus. This is going to sound like so, duh. That's the goal of discipleship is to be like Jesus. That is the complete and utter goal of discipleship, that we would all imitate the way, style, and person of Jesus. And Paul is praying for this. The mystery of the gospel was that the Gentiles could be like Jesus, the Jews can be like Jesus, all because of God's great love for people. And that God's spirit, who started a good work in us, will finish it unto completion. And so Paul sums up here with a word of doxology where he praises. He's like, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work with us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. You know, a lot of times we read this passage and we usually apply it to sports, like a lot of athletes. You know, they're like, I can do immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine. And what Paul is talking about is not athletics. Praise God that it could be applicable, I guess. I would not, I would not apply it to sports, but amen, you can do whatever you want. I mean, that's a hashtag. Man. That is a hashtag, man. Everything's a hashtag now. Hashtag bless. Um, but what Paul is talking about is this goal of being like Jesus, he could do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. What that would look like for a community. I'm fully persuaded. You don't have to persuade me anymore if... A third of our church, not that they're not trying, but if a third of our church was like legitimately this next five years, I'm going to invest everything I have into the kingdom. I'm going to put my hand to the plow and not look back, and I'm going to be like Jesus. A third of the church will transform this entire community. And I'm not just talking about the Casco Bay Church. I'm talking about the entire community. A third. If all of us just decided that this is what we were going to do. The challenge is, you need to be in a position of worship. Worship reorients you. We, we're going to talk a lot about spiritual disciplines next year, but worship reorients you. Cynicism, hard-heartedness, doubt, all these things, we're bombarded with it consistently. But prayers like this is what God's people should be praying. Mm-hmm. Any, any thoughts or any things that we need clarity on as we kind of wrap up and, and proceed to chapter four? Next time. What was the guy Eutychus? Fall out the window, but you're not at the window. You just slide that way, man. Any thoughts or anything that needed to be clarified? study on on the Holy Spirit and I really feel like as a fellowship we need to start becoming much more aware of what's available to us through the Spirit. I mean this is just the tip of the iceberg Um, but you know in Galatians chapter 5 Paul basically says you can walk by the Spirit and you'll crucify the deeds of the flesh, right? And and then he, he talks about the fact that we, we can sort of test ourselves and say, how are we doing by whether we're bearing fruit in the spirit or whether we're just living like the world. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's critical because this is this business of walking in the spirit. Of course, Paul, St. Paul, right? 
the Reformation is, is, is emphasizing the work of the Spirit in our lives that takes us and transcends who we are up into a, up to places that we can't imagine. Yeah. It's powerful. You were going to say something, Renaldi? Uh, I was going to ask for like, a clarification, but then, yeah. yeah. Amen. All right, we are done, guys. Let's see.